Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am unbelievably delighted to be sitting here with Nancy Green. She answered a call out to the community because I've had several of you lovely listeners telling me that they really want to hear about pet loss and we really want to talk about pet loss. As Nancy and I were just talking off mic, what we know is that losing a pet is for many people as significant as losing a human. And actually there's a subset of the population for whom the relationship that they have, particularly with dogs, is the kind of relationship that they have not been able to have with a human. Meaning when folks, particularly when they have trauma, dogs and horses, wolves, there are some animals that are so intuitive that they're able to be with you and help you calm your central nervous system in a way that humans with their own, you know, complicated wiring aren't always able to. So I've certainly had some patients for whom the loss of their pet is the most significant loss that they have ever endured. So I am beyond delighted to have you here. And I would love to just jump in. Why don't you tell folks who you are and what you do and, you know, your titles and all of that. Sure. Well, Megan, thanks for having me and greetings to your listeners. And I am Nancy Green. I have been in the healthcare space since 1988 as a research clinician, and then went on to get a coaching certification to specialize in grief and loss. I am a suicide loss survivor and a pet chaplain. And my journey into grief and pet grief stemmed from the loss of my black and tan Doberman, Golda the Iron Lady. And she died prematurely. And I don't think I had ever experienced, well, other than the the loss of my fiance. But, you know, since that time, so severe and so deep, other than that, the passing of Golda. And my dogs always had custom collars and I remember wearing her collar as a bracelet and a friend said, how much longer are you going to wear that? It's been two weeks. And it struck me at that time, how poorly understood the grief we experience when we lose a pet is and how it's just poorly understood. And then we're completely judged. So Golda's passing is what spurred me in the direction of getting a coaching certification and to take my 30-year closeted journey as a suicide loss survivor, it was time to take all of this out of the closet and support people in the space of grief grief and loss, whether it's a person or a pet. Mm, God, I feel just sort of compelled to say that it's an honor to sit with you as someone who survived that much loss and that compound loss is something we talk about here and that you've just described that arc, right, of traumatic growth, which is we take the trauma and we grow it into something that is not less than in our life. It's more than. And so I just sort of have tingles thinking about that and sitting with you, but I also have a million questions. Ask away. I have a million answers. So first of all, I mean, I, we, I got a glimpse of your dogs a minute ago and I do not want to neglect to introduce them to our audience, but before, before we do that, I want to ask about Golda. You said that she died prematurely. What yes. does what does that mean? So Golda, her official name was Golda the Iron Lady, named after Golda Meir and Margaret Thatcher. Yes. And she was this gorgeous, prissy, black and tan Doberman from Serbia, specifically bred 
her daddy was this Obi-Wan Kenobi was the, her daddy's name. And she was just gorgeous. But in some of these bigger breeds, there are some genetic defects that lead to something called dilated cardiomyopathy and responsible breeders, you know, may test out for that. So she had every bad marker, if you will. So knowing from when she was three that she was sick and then at four is when her heart got bad. So we talk about disenfranchised grief and then we also have the anticipatory grief knowing that from the time that she was diagnosed at four with this heart condition, I knew that if I had her two more years, right, mm -hmm. that I would be blessed and lucky. And knowing that I had all that time, she made it maybe a little bit more than a year. And even though I knew that, my heart was ripped out and crushed when that day came. But she, you know, there was some, you know, and it, so like, here's the thing, even when we know, yeah, it doesn't make the pain of, because yeah. it's, we're grieving the loss of the relationship, not so much the manner of how our loved ones yeah. and our pets, our loved ones pass. God, that's such a good point. And that's something that people talk to me about a lot. You know, they, and, and when, and we encourage people not to do this, obviously, but when people compare loss, right, mm -hmm. what are they, and, and what are they comparing? What are they looking at? And I, I've recently done a little bit of reading and writing about this. And I think it's helpful to talk about the idea that when you have been given a diagnosis, you are already grieving yes. in the yes. present moment, right? So yes. anticipatory loss doesn't really like, doesn't really work as a word for me because it's like you're anticipating the death. But the minute somebody says to me, can we talk about anticipatory loss? What I like to tell them is you're already grieving. You're grieving now. Yes. And that yes. that's really important. And that that is different than getting a phone call and someone saying your dog died. One is not better than the other. Right. You lose your dog either way, but the way that it lands on your system. And for some people, they might say, you know what? It was so much better for me to have a sudden you know, loss because I didn't have to worry about my dog for the three years or two years that right. he was ill. And other people will say it was so much better for me to have that time to be. And what I would say is, listen, I don't think there's a better than. It I don't think there's, sucks both there's, ways. there's just the way it is. And there's pain in all the ways. But, but the difference really is about sudden loss versus loss that you participate in, which is how I think about it, is how it hits your nervous system, how you, how you have to take in the information and you're e more eased into the information and they're incredibly painful either way. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we're looking at grief, right, there's no right or wrong way. And that's where, you know, there's some lovely books out there that I don't personally ascribe to, but yeah. grief is such an individual thing and it's not less or more than, and I think what's so important for those, those of us that support people in the grief space is that there's space for everybody's journey and yeah. that we as grievers and we try to teach and speak of grief to teach people one's not better than the other and one doesn't suck more the other because we're still people that are grieving, whether you knew about it from an anticipatory standpoint or a sudden, I think we need to lift up and support the person and honor 
the pet yes. that was lost. And what I, what I think is the most critical and most important is being able to tell the story of the relationship and have that be seen and understood, right? Like another thing that comes up often is people will say like, oh, well, I only lost my grandfather and you lost your child. And in that conversation, what I always point out is when you are looking at, I lost my grandfather, he was 80. What you're talking about is we had a past history together that he was a part of, right? He lived a full life and we had that together and there will be no more future, but maybe I didn't expect that much more of a future with an 80 year old. When you were talking about a child, really the thing that we are talking about is I've lost so much future, so much future life with this child. And so when we're doing the grief work, sometimes we're sitting with someone and I'm saying, tell me all about the memories. Tell me everything that happened. And sometimes when I'm sitting with someone who's lost a a child, I'm saying, what were all of the things that you had hoped and dreamed so that we can just really flesh out, like, what is it that you lost? Who did you lose? What were the things, right? So tell me about this. I, I mean, honestly, before, before I got your email, I had never heard of a pet chaplain. So I really Mm want to know, like, is that a thing? Do you get a degree in that? Is that, is that, is that something that you have created? How do we, how do we learn more about it? And, and does it exist for everyone? Like, are you in all the cities and we can call you because boy, that sounds like something people need. So Pet Chaplain is a branded, if you will, trademark of, it's the International Association, gosh, my brain just went blank. Of something important. You know, so as pet chaplains, we're generally, people that become pet chaplains, obviously we have that love of animals. We're Mm -hmm. somewhere either in a vet space or a social work space, you know, and then there's this love for pets. And then there's this love of supporting, you know, pet, pet owners. So there are pet chaplains, you know, all over the U.S., <coughs> excuse me, then, you know, 90% of what we do is, you know, via the telephone or, or via Zoom. But what's so important to bring light to what a pet chaplain is and pet grief is that there is support for grieving pet owners out there. Yeah. And I do want to kind of digress a second and digress to what you said about somebody that's lost a child and yeah. somebody that's lost, you know, as a suicide loss survivor. So we may jump all over. I love it. Again, we, we get stuck in like victim. We're not going to do that. But to your point is when you've lost someone, whether it's a child, like there were these visions and dreams of my wedding, what I was going to wear, our children, how we were. I was already planning a bar or bat mitzvah. And one of my close girlfriends lost a baby in utero right at the end of her pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And she said, do you do that kind of coaching? And I said, yes. And she said, but we haven't had the same journey. And and thank God, no. But what I do understand are all of the hopes and dreams and birthday parties and late night feedings that my girlfriend didn't get to experience with the baby that she carried for 36 weeks. Uh You know, so it's about it's about those dreams that we have, right? Because we think in pictures and it's about the dreams that we had that, we're, that are not going to be able to come true when yeah. we've lost that child yeah. and you know those other things that come into it. And you mentioned disenfranchised grief a minute yes. ago, and I just want to take a moment for that because I think, you know, so for the listeners who probably know this, disenfranchised grief just means, you know, the grief that society doesn't inherently 
see and really have much understanding of how to show up for it. And again, part of the reason getting support, whether it's therapeutic support or sort of like going to a group, a grief, grief group is everybody who has been through those moments, whether it's with a pet, right. And it's like, you know, one of the things I hear a lot from people who've lost pets is how quiet their house has become, or the particularly the noises of the animal, being able to hear it at other places in the house, or, you know, if it opened the refrigerator, the two dogs came, came running and now that doesn't happen. And just the pain of that. Right. And, and what we know is that pain doesn't last forever. At some point, your brain begins to understand and learn, but it can last a long time and it can get triggered again. And part of what we're talking about with disenfranchised grief is nobody's going to ask me about that unless they have had a similar experience that nobody is going to say, Hey, it's four weeks after your dog's death. And that is really bizarre to me. Because if we have every pet owner saying to us, no, it's been really, really significant and enough data out there to say that, you know, the experience of loss is, is in and of itself about the relationship. If I tell you that I've lost a significant relationship, it could be my job. It could be my house. It could be my health. And the notion is that's going to take me a while to process. And the disenfranchised grief around pet loss is really extraordinary to me. It's just very, and one of my formative childhood memories was losing a, a cat, the death of a cat. And I grew up on a farm where there were, you know, there were animals. So it wasn't a, the notion that things die was not new to me. Right. It was the attachment that I had to this pet and this being something that was attached back to me, which Absolutely. It was, I mean, I have lots of stories and I've heard lots of stories from pet owners about how cats and dogs are intuitive and are with them or alert them or, you know, that, that sympathetic nervous system connection is something that pet owners report. And then we hear from our colleague that they lost their dog of 12 years and we don't send flowers and we don't ask, or we say, I'm so sorry to hear that. And that's kind of like the end of it. Right. I've got this flight of ideas going on and I've got all of these notes. Go. So let me start with <laughs> disenfranchised grief. And then I want to transition to, which may be a little woo-woo-y, some visitation. So when we go back in history, right. And we, look, we like, like woo-woo on this podcast. Okay. Cause this is very woo-woo. And yep. listen, if we're not challenging our paradigms, then, then why? Right. So when we go back historically and look at expressions of grief and mourning, like World War One, yeah. it was somewhat traditional for a family member in grief to wear black for a year. That's right. Right. Let's fast forward to World War Two, and there was so much death. So that appropriate grieving, and not that one year is enough. So that grieving timeline, come World War Two, yeah, got even shorter. So there's no and right? There's no appropriate time to, and then we went into all of these other wars. So the timeline and this socially acceptable timeline for grief keeps getting shorter and shorter. And that's for people. So there's never been a timeline time for, for grief. Unless it's children. And then we give them, I don't know, ice cream after bed or something. You know, so, and one of the things that we're going to go woo woo now, then I'll see my next flight of ideas. Love it. I love it. <laughs> So one of the things that we know and why this process is so painful is it's about the relationship, whether it was your iguana, your cat, it's about the relationship. So the bulk of my experience is with dogs. Anyway, so 
what we know is that we are energy. We're not just when the physical body is gone, our souls and our spirits, and so much more so with our pets, don't leave us. So when you come in to the garage and that dog is not waiting for you at the other side of the door for the night night treat, I just want to encourage your listeners to be looking for them. Yeah. I could I could swear I heard her collar. I could swear I didn't leave that that ball of yarn there. And it, these things are going to be subtle, like like a ripple of a butterfly's wing. It's the yeah. butterfly effect that energetically those pets never leave you. So yeah. especially within that short term after we've lost a pet, to be looking for the toy that's moved, to be feeling like you know sometimes we say if you have a Doberman you'll never pee alone. Sometimes like if you, <laughs> I, I have someone that I worked with that the dog would always nuzzle up against the, the bathroom door when she went to use the restroom and she could swear she heard muffin. Well, of course it was muffin. Who, so these are some of these things, it's woo woo wee, but you know, when our heart's in pain, we don't wanna miss the miracles that the universe is providing for us to comfort us. Whether I'm, it's so glad. I'm so glad you said that. And people who've been listening to this podcast for a while know that I have come a long like from, you know, gone up the mountain, come back down the mountain about the woo elements. And I have a memoir coming out. And in the memoir, there, there are chapters about really woo woo stuff that I'm like, no, it's just normal. That's just like a random butterfly. That's there. It's not a random butterfly. Right. And then, and then I sort of come to the other side. And what I, what I want to just say is that the quantum physics that you just described that matter isn't destroyed really isn't like up for, that's not up for, the scientists have deemed this to be true. I think one of the things that is relevant, again, we just talked about sort of traumatic growth as this big theme that we're all looking for. Another one is to have the continuing bond, right? Like that's that's a theory base in modern, you know, yes. there's no five stages of grief, but continuing bonds is this idea that you get to have a continued relationship yes. with whomever and whatever you've lost. Now, what that where that got complicated for me, and I'll just say this, is that I felt so much guilt when my mother died suddenly that I didn't want that butterfly to be my mom. Gotcha. I wasn't sure what she was going to have to say to me. So in grief work, what I'm often saying to people is, you know, there is a trajectory of, of sort of coming to your own holding and understanding of your own story. So for listeners who are like, listen, I just lost my dog and I really want to hear the bell or I want them nuzzling up. I really want to say to you that it's not, it doesn't have to be an instant thing that we are progressing through grief for a much longer period of time than any code book or diagnostic tells us. And this woo-woo element that Nancy is offering us, which I really love and I think is really important, is not something that has to be immediate, that you are you are going to be navigating the pain. And there's actually some neuroscience behind this as well, too, that when you're really jacked up, particularly from sudden loss, your brain is kind of cut off from a whole bunch of signals, one of which is also the spiritual center. And I think I would make an argument for myself that I was pretty cut off from that for about a year. 
And that after my neurosystem, I started to sleep a little better. I was able to eat a little bit more. Some, uh, my mind opened up a little bit around that notion. So I just wanted to, to say that because I think there are a lot of people, I hear from a lot of people that are like, I want the woo-woo. I want the signals. I want the, the butterfly. And they, they can't find them. And they find that They're frustrating looking. the same way they want to have a grief dream, you know? And what I would say is it's a lifelong journey and this continuing bonds is something that we do, but it's also something that we open ourselves up for. So think about it almost like stretching or a practice rather than something that is like bestowed upon you, like you got a good ghost and someone didn't, you know. Right. And just lean in and it's kind of, you know, it's like trying to lose 10 pounds versus just being more mindful and walking a few extra steps. So because we're specific, you know, we're, we're all over the place because we're talking about pets. I want to share a Golda story. Yes, so I, through the Doberman rescue, there was a blue Doberman that we pulled and he was an hour from being euthanized and mm-hmm. he almost looked like a Weimaraner and he was supposed to be Patton, but he was so not Patton, Golda and Patton. So it was a blue <laughs> Doberman. So he became Jake Blue. And after Golda passed, and he was so terrible, I mean, he was starved. He was like 50 pounds when we pulled him. Mm-hmm. And he needed to be in a home with another dog because he had such problems with people. And he had bonded with me. So again, meant to be. And when Jakey came home, Golda was there. And when she passed, we know we already had Winston. But when she passed one night, shortly after she passed, he was laying on the bed at night where he always was. And honest to God, Megan, he was smiling and wagging his nubby. Golda visited him. I would bet my life, you know what I mean? Because I know my dogs never prior or since did that dog smile in his sleep and wag his nubby, right? So part of it is just be open, right? And like in life, let's not have expectations, but let's just interact with our universe and our world as best we can with our grief and see what the universe provides for us. Cause we never know. I love that. I love that. And I find it, you know, I think my job as a trauma therapist is to sort of be a hope merchant, right. To sort of say like, there's hope in all the places. And I, I just, that's part of the reason I wanted to say that is that I know it can be painful for people when they feel like there is no visitation happening. And I think what we're saying is, just lean in gently to the idea that there's energy there to be found by you, that it, that it is there, but it's, but it's sort of a little bit of a framework. I want to ask about your history with rescuing Dobermans. You, I want to, I want you to tell us, you told me off mic a minute ago, a pretty extraordinary story about one of your dogs. So just give us a sense of like, how does one find themselves in a Nancy Green position of being a pet chaplain and, you know, someone who is really offering out into the world, this incredibly needed conversation and vocation. You know, it's, it's really interesting because all of my dogs, Golda had a story, but even this dog I found at the gym, this seat, you know, so, you know, Winston Churchill's story involved with it, you know, I don't, sometimes I don't know if I'm answering your question. 
I've always been someone that the world is so much bigger than me. And I do believe that I do believe in the butterfly effect. And I do believe in doing more good. And like one, one by one, we can change the world not to get into a cliche. Uh So I've always been somewhat philanthropic with my time and Dobermans are, have been a love. And I'm like, let me see what I can do. So I got involved with Georgia Doberman Rescue and a female Doberman came into animal control in South Carolina and the dog was going to be euthanized, pregnant with puppies. So she went to one of our fosters in South Carolina. The, the mom goes into labor and the, the, the foster mom puts her out to potty. She climbs a fence, pregnant with puppies. For two weeks, we looked for these puppies and she had birthed eight and five survived. And he's laying, he just yawned. Um, <laughs> he so knows after, you're talking about him. After six months of being at a foster because he wasn't pure Doberman, he, they were going to transfer him to an all breed rescue. Fast forward, I was assisting with the transport. My son was with me. It was the funniest Doberman we'd ever seen. You know, (laughs) Golda was sick at the time and he became, and we named them the Spice Puppies. So he became Winston Churchill. But what's so interesting is part of that journey, right? And he bonded with us. And here's like another crazy thing. I'm coming out of the gym, I guess, May of last year, and it's getting nice here in North Georgia. And there's a dog in one of the offices and he looks like a Labradoodle, pet chaplain, dog lover. I'm like, dog. So of course I have to go in and I look at him. So of course I get the story and they found him wandering in the parking lot. So you take the medical person, the crazy dog lady, and in no time I've done a physical exam on this dog, right? And he's got cataracts and he's not neutered and he's clean. It's, it's nice. He, he, you know, he walked out of somebody's yard. They must be working in the yard. So I go, no, 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 I'll take him. I'm a pet chaplain. Goes, let me show you my cape. Right. It's like Wonder Woman. No, I'll take him. It's a Sunday morning. Long story short, Megan, is this, I spent all Sunday trying to find this dog's family because he was so sweet. He was an older puppy. So, you know, somebody was crying. I bring him home and he's in the front seat of my car and I look over at him and I'm in tears. I promise I'll find your mommy. Because I know how I would feel. Of course. I, I ended up bringing him home you know, sequestering him from the boys, making some flyers and going back down to where, and got sh- a long story short, I did find his mommy. It was me. Oh, my God. oh um, it was you. You yes. were the mommy. Yes. I was wow. meant to be his mommy. And, you know, and I knew when I found him that he, and I got more of his backstory that my mission for that dog was to show him what love is to what show him what a loving home was and for him to be cared for and for me to be that respite for him when it was time to move on Mm -hmm. and I again we're going to go woo woo wee I spoke with an animal communicator because I wanted to make sure that I was doing right by this dog because I had promised him that because I Mm -hmm. promised him I would find his mommy and I remember saying to him because he had a stupid name they called him Curly so then I was going to call him Curly Joe. And then I just decided CJ was so much cuter. Oh, that is. And, cute. you know, he would hobble when I came in and I told him, you know, several times, CJ, 
you can leave whenever you want. I will be watching and you just need to tell me. And I agonized over and I had a late meeting one evening and he didn't come with the other boys and he was laying beside my bed. And I looked at him and I said, are you ready? And he just put his little paw. Oh my God. And he, he's the only dog that is in my backyard. I have all my other babies because that's what I promised him. I promised him a home. But sometimes these animals find us. So that's where I'm saying, just be open to what the universe has to offer. I mean, it's so gorgeous because to me, it sounds like this is a calling. Like I'm thinking about after my mom died, all my listeners know that I, even though I'm a trauma therapist, it turns out that doesn't inoculate you from becoming traumatized. So I had really terrible PTSD after my mom died. And I checked myself into a facility in Tennessee that had equine therapy. Mm -hmm. And one thing I know about myself is the stronger I say, I don't believe in that shit. It's not real. The more likely that shit is got something for me. So I was like, whatever equine therapy, that's not really for me. I grew up with horses. I just think they're animals. It's fine. And I was really stunned because they do use their rehabbing horses. And, you know, most of those horses have had some sort of physical trauma. And so I was doing two things. I was watching horses pick people and I was watching people intuitively pick horses. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you could see a match that didn't work. You know, yes. someone, someone trying to force something that wasn't there And again, I've said it already, but you know, our prefrontal cortex was just right behind our foreheads is where we do all of our thinking and is something that is not a problem for a dog or a horse. They're not doing that kind of thinking. They are much more instinctive, meaning that right brain, just receptiveness, and they don't have anything to confuse it. So they're just really instinctive. And so, you know, there were a couple of things that happened when I did the horse treatments, but one was I, I felt so unsafe in my own body with PTSD because my body and my mind were really torturing me, right? Like I was getting images of my mother's death. I was hearing the phrase, it's your fault. And I stood with this horse and I felt safe and grounded and, and, um, and held and, and like, it was going to be okay because this animal was somehow very quickly tethered to me in this way that I needed to feel tethered to the earth. So I couldn't do it, but I did it through the conduit of this animal and the animal, the horse, I really believe knew I needed it. And so walked right over to me to do it. So when you talk about the woo-woo, I feel like, yeah, if there's going to be any, like no prefrontal cortex means no doubting, no problem solving, no analytical anything. You know, we're just, when we're, when we're in relationship with animals, they are in, they are intrinsically trusting. And it's, it's also why they can so easily be abused and harmed is because we're, we're really just looking at their instinctive states. But I love when you're talking about the woo-woo stuff, because I feel like, gosh, if anything was going to be able to just, you know, go in, if the energy was going to be released into the world in that simple and easy way, of course it would be 
it would be animals, cats, dogs, horses, well, you know, all of it. I don't know enough about, I don't have enough experience with lizards and birds, and I don't actually know very much about their brains, but the animals that we use therapeutically, I know a lot about. And, you know, there's a, there is a reason why we attach to them so significantly. Gosh, I've got another flight of ideas, but first I want to take a second and acknowledge your bravery for realizing that as a trauma therapist that you needed help. And that is something for all of your listeners. Like if you're one of these bulletproof people who's resilient, which is always what I've been, but the fact that you knew something was off with yourself, PTSD, whatever it was that you knew with all your intellectual knowledge that you had, cognitively you knew, but you did not get stuck behind your ego. You realized that you needed help and you found a mechanism to help you with that. So I think that's a really important takeaway for your listeners to say, everybody needs support. Even we bulletproof wonder women, men and women need to know when we need to reach out for support. Thank you. You know, I get a lot of questions about that. And, and, you know, there are some people that I think opt out of me when they hear that, that that feels like too much for them. And I feel like bless and release, that's good. But from a therapeutic standpoint, you know, it is the thing that I am the proudest of in my life, the choice that I'm the proudest of, even though I made that choice from a utterly destroyed place. I mean, I was not still a choice. It was, it was my choice. And I feel really unbelievably grateful that I did have that meta understanding of things were getting worse, not better. And that's the threshold that I always offer people. Not everybody's going to have compound complex grief. Not every, certainly only a small percentage are going to require the kind of treatment that I required. But if you feel like you're getting worse and not better, if you feel like you're suffering, then go find a treatment provider. It's not about when do I have to go find a treatment provider? You know, if you had like a tennis elbow that was, felt like it was getting worse and wasn't healing, you would just go see a doctor. You wouldn't, you wouldn't agonize at night. You know, do I, should I, is it that bad? Do I need to, you would just go have someone check it out because specialists like me, we can tell you how bad it is. We have a better perspective. We will be able to use the diagnostic tools and say to you, hey, this is how bad this is. And I I really do feel unbelievably grateful to the other clinicians that allowed me to use their perspective, my friends and my family who were really gently loving up on me, hoping that I was going to get better, but also keying to me that I was not getting better. And, you know, there are only a few treatment centers in the world in the world that I trust, and I knew them. I knew their names. I knew their reps. I knew their phone numbers. I knew they would help me. So, part of the reason I do this podcast is I, you know, I like to be able to offer to people, maybe like in that chaplainy sort of way, the notion that you know, grief is really really difficult, but it shouldn't it shouldn't almost destroy you, and that people there are ways to get help and support with that. But I do. And thank you. I really do think of it as probably the thing that I am the most proud of that I've ever done. You know, you mentioned tennis elbow and an analogy that I use quite often. And, you know, as a suicide loss survivor and, you know, working with some of those folks in these traumatic grief experiences, you know, so <laughs> pardon me, you know, we, we break an arm, you put a cast on it and then no one knows like six weeks down the road that you broke your arm. But when we've had these traumatic experiences and our pets, 
it's not a fracture, it's an amputation. And the grief lasts as long as love does, right? It, it, it ebbs and flows, but some of these traumatic experiences, like I'm sitting here looking at one, two, three pictures of Golda and Jake over there and Golda, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, again, it's about the relationship and these are amputations, these losses that we experience. And it's not someone with an amputation goes on and lives a full life, right? right? So then we need to give ourselves permission to acknowledge the amputation and still move forward with our life. Mm, that's a great, I love that analogy. That's a it's so, it's so apropos. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, what I often say to people is, you know, after I, ha- after I became a mother, no one ever said like, when are you going to go back to normal? Everybody was like, yeah, kids are for the rest of your life. And I feel like after I became a griever, it was, you know, I have felt the same, which is there are hard parts to dr- grieving and hard seasons to grieving and different elements about grieving. It gets simpler meaning and more predictable over time because I've been doing it longer, but that doesn't mean that it's easier or, you know, it's not any easier really to live without my mom than it was the minute she died. I want to ask you, I want to pivot for a second and ask, like you started to talk about being a pet chaplain and you said you do a lot of it virtually What's the primary role when people are reaching out? Is it for end of life care? Are they reaching out because they are, you know, struggling with like, I don't know whether or not they're going to keep the dog in the family. What is the role as you perform it? So for me, I'll work with clients, you know, I'm in North Georgia. So if there's somebody that needs help or a consultation or they want that additional support for an in-home euthanasia. And a lot of times it's really just sitting with someone. And one of the things that I say is we don't apologize for happy tears. So therefore we will not apologize for sad tears. Mm-hmm. So I, I said, this, let me tell you, we'll get on a Zoom call and I'll do like a quick introduction and I'll tell them we don't apologize for happy tears. If you do nothing but cry, and sob for the next 30 minutes, I will create that space for you. And, you know, generally what will happen is we'll just talk. We'll talk about the dog and did you pick the dog or did the dog pick you? Tell me your favorite. I want to know, and I want to validate that that love and that relationship was, was real. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to validate and hold space for the broken heart that you have, you know, and then you know, and every relationship is different. And then if there's some guilt associated with it, but I can't wave my magic wand and bring back your baby, but I can support you, whether it's three months or six months. And then as we know, grief is like an onion and then there's layers. Yeah. But the bulk of time, we just want to be heard and validated. And I want to show you the picture of I've got Golda's picture when I pick her up from the air. But I mean, this is what we, we grievers with our pets. So, I mean, all the technology has made life easier. But um, you know, one of the questions I always ask, and I get this, I, I have this clairvoyant, intuitive thing that I, it's a, it's a God mm-hmm. thing. And then depending on, all, all of a sudden I'll say, tell me something about the dog, whatever, I'll just say Golda. And they'll say, Golda was this, this, and this. And then, and, we, and I can always tell when I'm, when it's spot on, because all of a sudden I get goosebumps and I'll say, yeah. Golda wants you to know that she loved you unconditionally, that you were the best mom. And it's really interesting how 
these sessions unfold because it's just the energy is coming yeah. through me to share. Yeah. And yeah. it's again, it's very woo woo-y. And I always know, like I don't go there unless Is I get the really goosebumps. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they'll be, you know, tell me five things, or you know, or if the dog's name was five letters, uh, whatever it was in that moment, because we just want to know that that dog knew that they were loved, that they know that we did everything possible, that we we would go without eating for a month if it would get one more day. You know, and all it's all these what ifs, right? The would, but so it's this really neat experience and to just really hold space and listen. But that's such an interesting, I, I, that's such an interesting way of talking about it. And I really appreciate you saying it. And my listeners already know you're talking about clairsentience, right? Which is like the clarity and the knowing of your body giving you cues, whereas like a medium is having a conversation or a, they're interacting with the, with the energy. There are those of us, and I'm saying us because folks know that the reason that I know that my mother died was that I had a sensation of water breaking inside my body. So you and I are the same in this way. And when I work with clients, I know that I'm in the truth because I feel cold, like a wave. And now I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. (laughs) Across my arms. And I know that's really uncomfortable for people, but I also don't care because it's the truth. And so I, you know, you can know that something is the truth and know that maybe it isn't for you or it isn't for you right now, or it makes you uncomfortable. But I think part of what you're describing in your, I'm going to call it calling, is that you are able to discern the people who need that kind of connection and that you're the conduit for the connection, which sounds really, I mean, it sounds wildly powerful and it's, I imagine powerful for you and powerful for the, for the folks. And I feel like, again, is that bridge in between sort of, you know, what loss feels like now and what loss maybe will feel like in the future, which is, you know, you're the channel for that at the moment, but maybe they'll get to become the channel, which is what I think we're talking about when we're saying, Hey, look out for these signals and these symbols and the, the feelings and the sounds and all of that. You know, my mom, I just, I want to go back to looking for the signal and just being present and in flow. And I I understand that wanting that sign. So my mom passed, it was just three years ago and Mm. she lived with my sister. Um, And then like, I'm sitting here working one night and I had some emotional provision. So I had like a little quart of ice cream and, and I look over my shoulder and I go, no mom, you can't have my ice cream because she was here. Yeah. Um, and then I've been, I just love being outdoors and working in my yard. And it's really interesting because last year on my birthday, which is in June, I had put some perennials in and there was this monarch butterfly that was following me. Yeah. And my neighbor came over and she's like, what's up with that butterfly? And I said, oh, it's my birthday. That's my mom. But I shared some of those stories with my sister. You had a bit of a different relationship. And I was like, yep, mom was hanging out with me and she wanted my, because my mom, if she saw anything sweet, her eyes would be looking at you to share. So my sister said, well, she doesn't visit me. Mm. But what are you, like, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go, hey, ma, you want some ice cream? But in that moment, there was this energy that shifted and I knew she was looking at my dang ice cream. 
I love it. And I feel like part of what you're describing is, and, and this is, was my experience, like, because I was really in so much guilt about my mom dying, it wouldn't have been okay with me. I mean, I had many people who were like, listen, you already are kind of part of this, you know, woo woo thing. Maybe you should, um, maybe you should think about talking to a meet. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing that until all of a sudden it, there was until I was okay. I want to say, I have a friend who's an Episcopal priest, a very dear friend who hates when I say woo woo. She says to me that it's disrespectful of the, the divine. And so she, and so I'm just in case Eva's listening, what I want to say is I'm using your language as woo woo. I love that language because I think it's, it is, but I do think there's room to also say that we're talking about something that is spiritually. Yes. Yes. And if people can tolerate that, which I'm sure some listeners are like, I'm clicking Megan off. She's talking about, you know, the divine, but you know, we're talking about death and the way that we organize our connection to death is, you know, maybe it ends when it ends. And if that's the way you feel about it, that's probably the way it's going to feel to you. Right. And for others of us who that continuing bond is going to mean searching for, looking for the energy, then maybe that's the way it's going to feel for us. And just like there's no right way, right way to grieve, I don't know that there's any right way to, to live on with grief. Um, and, you know, I like the idea, although I don't, I have yet to have as many visits and experiences. My mom has also been gone about three years. Um, it's two and a half going on three. I, I, I don't know that I would like to have more. I, I would like to have more contact. I would like to have more, um, interaction. Can I ask a concrete question that comes up a lot? Like, let me fire if, away. If someone, if you, if someone mentions to you or, you know, that they have lost an animal, what are, what in your opinion is a good way to respond to that? I think a lot of people are good people, loving people who are awkward. What tips or just, I hate even saying tips, but like, how would you encourage people to respond? I, I, I think we need to be real and we need to have some empathy and compassion and to understand that somebody lost something near and dear, near and dear. So let's just start with creating some understanding that person who's asking that question to understand the relationship that for that person, it wasn't a cat or a dog. And let's start like this, Megan. Oh, I'm so sorry that fluffy passed away. I know how much you loved her. How are you doing? Mm. What's even better is when you say, how are you doing? You can say good. And sometimes, yeah. right. Right. And a better question is, what can I do to support you? Yeah. And it's just to step back, people understand that somebody just lost a piece of their heart. Megan, I'm so sorry to hear about Fluffy. I know how much you loved her. What can I do to support you? Yeah. And then it, it just creates this beautiful space and, and validation of what you're going through. Yeah. You know, even simpler, what I always say to folks is if you have an actual story, 
of the person that they're mourning, even if it's small. I loved when I sat next to your mom at the movies, which is a real story that I said to a friend because she was, she giggled. She had such an amazing high pitched giggle during the movie that we watched. That was not a lot of contact with her mother, but it was something. I think it's even simpler with animals, you know, like, oh my gosh, I remember how gorgeous your dog was and how you always took your dog on walks. Or I think of that one holiday picture that your beautiful dog was in with your kids that being reminded that, you know, that the dog was alive or the animal was alive and it was a presence and that you noticed that before today right. is also just a lovely way of like just stepping in and acknowledging, even if, you know, even if you've never had a pet and you don't know what it would mean to lose a pet, which I think is the thing that makes us the most awkward in all of grief is like, well, I've never been through that. And so I don't know what to do. And so I'm going to leave them alone and I'm not going to say anything. And that I got to tell you when my mom died, you know, I've suffered multiple losses, but particularly when my mom died, when I knew that other people knew that my mom died and they didn't say anything to me, it felt like I had had my arm cut off and they were just trying not to look at it. Mm -hmm. And instead of being like, how are you doing? Which is what I always wanted. I know that's not what all grievers want, but I feel like you got to err on the side of acknowledgement and let someone tell you, I don't need to talk about it rather than I'm not going to talk about it because it's really awkward and we don't want to do awkward feelings. No. And I'm trying to remember this, this quote, and it's something like feelings not felt never die. They just come back demanding to be felt. Right. So we can stuff. So, and it's the people that are stuffing or the people that don't know how to interact with we grievers, especially if it's a pet, but you know, because right, the person stuffing, they're going to have to be looking in that mirror, unfortunately, at, at some point. But I want to go everybody back if grieve. I, yeah, everybody grieves, so they'll they'll be there. Go ahead, go back. I want to go back and ask a question out of respect to to Eva. Yeah. So this is really interesting because for someone who is deeply spiritual and you know my sense of spiritual spirituality is big. You know, I was raised in a Jewish home. I have. I have a Torah, I have Buddha on the mantle. What's Eva's, what's a respectful embracing the, the mystery and the beauty oh, of the I, universe? When, I'm, when I said that, I meant the way I said woo-woo. Yes. I know she listens to the podcast and the way I said it was a way of dumbing it down. Okay. And so, and being disrespectful of something that she was saying, like, that is the God inside of you. Don't okay. call it names. So I don't, I didn't mean to say that's what you're doing. No, you no, no. Can. But I'm just trying to find a more affirming because, you know, for so often two plus two needs to equal four, especially yeah. in the realm of spirituality. Yeah. So I use so what I've term- landed on is the energy that the universe gives me. That's the phrase that I use is that I am very deeply connected to the energy that the universe presents me and gives me. And I I feel it inside my body and I can sometimes translate it in certain ways. And sometimes it runs itself across me that, that, you know, I think everybody has to find their own language, but that feels to me like very respectful as opposed to the way that I was making it sound like I sort of believe in like, you know, make believe fairies. And that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the same sensation that I get when I like stand at the threshold of the Grand Canyon or when there's a standing ovation in a, in a room where there's like 60,000 people. That's what I'm talking about is that energy, which I do think is, is 
beyond humanity. I think it's divine. I think it's connected to everything ancient and everything in the future. And so when Eva was correcting me, she was correcting me because she already knew that about me. Like I don't follow any particular um, religious sort of dogma or practice anymore. Although I was raised in those things and and then tried to sort of find my way in other people's ideas. Now I, now I feel real settled in, you know, taking what's right for me and using that and borrowing language and sort of consuming all the things. I think if I was going to do anything, probably it would be to figure out how I could become Jewish because I think there are traditions for everything that's deeply emotional. See if I can get you a reference. Right. I mean, there's, (laughs) but there's a reason why it's an ancient, you know, it's been around for Mm -hmm. thousands of years and that we still practice all the traditions like Jewish weddings, Jewish funerals to me are, you know, they really, the bat mitzvahs, the, all of that to me is, it feels like it's honoring a heritage. That's not just the people that came before us, but all of the people that came before us. So anyway, that I won't speak for Eva. I really would more was like speaking to Eva saying, I'm not using the word woo-woo to be disrespectful. My friend, no, but, you, know, you know, but again, part for me, my heart and my mind is open to hearing perspectives that might be more affirming. Yeah, that's, I mean, to her, I think she really just wanted me to, to, to say it's a gift. It's a gift to be, you know, it's a clairsentience. It's, it's a knowing it's an understanding when I get that energy inside my body, it's never wrong. It's never been wrong. I don't get it all the time. I don't get it with all people. And it is, it's a, you know, I translate it and then it's a gift that I give back in the world. I want to ask another question, please. So one of the things this podcast used to be called grieve is a verb. And I changed it to grieve as my side hustle just to sort of keep the platform together. But grieve is a verb, meaning that the energy that that is sort of handed to us like a massive watermelon when we are now carrying grief is something that we have to figure out how to how do I manipulate this? What do I do to it in order to make it more manageable for me to carry? And I'm curious when you are when you are counseling people with pet loss, do you counsel them through any particular activities? Are there books that they read? Are there guided journals? Are there, you know, you talked about the bearing witness conversation and I do a grief writing workshop, which includes people who've lost pets, which I think is really critical, but I'm curious if there's anything, you know, specific to animals or, anything unique that you have seen people do that you just think, well, this is a worthwhile example to, to share with people, because I do think there's a bunch of folks out there who really need like the menu items, you know, who really need it suggested to them. You could try this or you could try that. So part of it. So it's a yes. And because it's all our grief experiences are all going to be unique and personal. So we can start there. So one, I always tell people, just acknowledge that your grief is real. Don't stuff it. Don't judge it. Don't be reading books, right? So let's just start with acknowledge your loss. Yeah. And then it really becomes individual. Some people need to immediately put away all the dog bowls. Right. Right? Right. So we always go, so I, what I like to do is make, have work with clients to do honoring 12 ways to honor Fluffy or how to honor, how, how to honor Golda, especially at the holidays, right? Yeah. Come Christmas, come yep. the dog's birthday. Yep. And it really becomes, you know, what was Golda's favorite thing to do? Go lay yep. down, Winston. She loved her Frisbee. So, well, how could you, how could you take that Frisbee 
because that was her thing. And have that be her legacy. Can you go donate? Do you want to go, you know, get five Frisbees and bring them to the local, you know, doggy daycare? So you really need to dig down. I really like journaling. Yeah. And here's the thing. It sounds very, you know, when I'm working with clients, like, you know, part of it is like, we don't want to judge our grief. And the last thing we need to feel is that now we're grieving wrong. So grieve as long as you need to take care of your health, but it may just be, I haven't been able to walk in the evening since I lost Golda. Okay. How can you move forward? Because now we're looking at your whole self as a person. Yeah. How about you just walk to the mailbox and back? So we really look at the baby steps. That's where I go with the patients. Let's look. So for your listeners and you've lost, you know, a precious fur baby, cat or dog or ferret, you know, how do you move forward with your grief and honor that memory? So then it becomes like, what is grief stolen from you? And what are you willing to take back from grief? Mm. Right? So that's grief is the ultimate thief. So what is it stolen? And again, some of these things are going to take a little bit of a fight, right? You're going to the, to the clinic with the equine therapy that took a fight. So we need to get some resilience and to do that with kindness and empathy. So I, I like to journal and I, I, I struggle when I say, why don't you just journal? And I can see people clinch up and get anxiety. Journal, you can voice text into your phone. So I try to get a sense for things that are going to be helpful. Will looking at Golda's puppy pictures help you? No, 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 I can't look at her pictures. Okay. You know, so it's really give yourself space. You know, how do you want to honor the memory? Do you have, and some of these things are simple. Do you have old blankets and towels? Go donate them to the Humane Society. Go bring them to your vet. You know, so it's really to get a sense of that relationship and for it not to be cookie cutter and like you're ordering off a menu, you know, because for some people they go, they cannot go back past that park. Okay. That's fine. Is there another park? Because we need to look at grievers and folks that are, you know, listening, you're a whole person. You're a little dented right now, but it's okay. There's also so much wisdom. I didn't mean to interrupt you. There's so much wisdom in what people say they can't do. What I assume when people say they can't do it is they mean it's too much right now. And so anytime, you know, one question that comes up with pets and with people is like the stuff, the the blankets and the jewelry and the, and honestly, the question I get really often is, you know, how, how do I know when to do it? When is too soon? When is, and what I say, look, there's the, there's the concrete truth of, listen, if you have to sell your grandfather's house, you have to sell it. And so you just got to cry all the way through it. And you need to get as many helpers as you can to be close with you to do this extra unbelievable, you know, secondary loss, hard thing. But when you don't have to sell it, What I say to folks is your brain and your body are really jacked up right now. They're not, that oxygen is not getting to that part of your brain that does critical thinking. So as much time as you can kind of buy yourself 
to be able to let your system regulate itself back down to the space where it can be a little bit more thoughtful and curious. And, and I use myself as an example. I mean, I didn't touch any of my parents' things until a year after my mom died because of COVID. But even then I was not the regulated the way I am now. And I threw some things away that I really wish I didn't throw away. Now, I don't regret it because there really wasn't anything that I could have done. It, I was doing a job that needed to be done. But when people are saying, I have a lot of reactivity to the stuff, well, feel free to pack that stuff up and put it in a friend's garage if possible yes. and give yourself time to let the reactivity calm down. And if not, just close the door. If not, just you know, give yourself a little bit of distance and the answer will show up for you. There will be a day when you look over at your wedding dress and you think, I don't need that in here anymore. Right. But it might be 26 years from now. And, and then that's you've fine. got to trust the wisdom of the system to let you know when it's ready to let go of something. And so there is no right or wrong. It's not a year, it's not six weeks, but I have seen a number of folks because they're really jacked up because the stuff is really provocative give it all away or throw it all away or get it all away. And then a year later be in so much pain that there's no way to get that back. And so what I've said is anything that if you are above a five, we don't want you making huge decisions. If you've just experienced some kind of sudden loss, you are going to be above a five for a very long time. Buy yourself some time. In get order up out to- of bed every morning. Yeah. Right? You're right? The, and you know, pet grievers, but Truly get up out of, you know, forget society, get up. If you can make it through a day and not cry when you're in that much pain, success. If you, if you only cried three times today and yesterday you cried four, you're healing a tad. That's right. People often apologize to me for crying, just as you said. And what I've said is like, no, that's, you're doing great energetic work right now. You're shifting the energy that was inside of you. You're letting it out of you. You're leaving it here. You're putting it on the tissue all and and it will regenerate itself and we'll have to do some more crying and all of that but i really love how you're talking about this because you are talking about it the way i know people experience it which is as significant as all of those losses that people write memoirs about as all you know and there's a reason why when you ask somebody what's you know what's the movie that makes you cry it's like well if a dog dies in it everybody like that's the movie everybody knows or like maybe a horse or you know but those are the ones that that just twist us they kill us you know because we know a horse story with you yeah this is and it's again it's this another real world analogy for grief i live in the north georgia mountains so to get pretty much anywhere. So there's a lot of pastures. So I'm heading to the gym one morning and then to go into the clinic. And I noticed that there's a bunch of horses in the pasture, like, and then one horse is down. I'm like, oh, that's interesting, right? Go about my day, blah, blah, blah. So the next morning I go past that same pasture and the horse is still down in the pasture, but now he's all by himself. Huh. Right? You want to talk about like, like a grief flood, like those things that spark. Yeah. And I'm like, huh. So I continue past the pasture and I'm driving and I'm like, I have all these things ahead of me that I have to take care of for the day. I get to the gym. I turned around and drove home and (laughs) there were people in the pasture with that horse. And here's where we are. We have a grief experience. We've, We've lost 
pets people, but let's stay with pets. And our friends send cards, right? So it's like the first day when I passed, the horse was down in the pasture and all of his horse friends were there. And then the next day, the horse was down in the pasture and he was all by himself, but where'd all his horse friends go? Yeah. And, but then the bottom line is that to learn how to, we as the grievers, to ask for the support from our friends, to know when we're sad, to reach out to your, I call them our A-list friends and say, I'm struggling today. Yeah. Because I don't know when the owners of that farm realized that that horse was down in the pasture, but it struck me so deeply that that's what we experience as grievers to tie back into that disenfranchised grief, yeah. let alone the loss of a pet. Oh my gosh. What, and what I've talked about a lot on this podcast, particularly during COVID, you know, people are really aware of the fight, flight, freeze responses. What gets less talked about, although in trauma it gets talked about, is the notion that actually what we start with is connection. That if something bad happens, I look, it's the Mr. Rogers thing. I look around to see, and this comes from Stephen Porges and he talks to us about our about our brains connecting to other people's brains through the ventral system, this polyvagal theory. And you and I are doing it right now. You're talking, I'm talking, we're nodding, we're smiling at each other and we're regulating each other. It's like, I don't feel crazy. And everybody knows what it's like to be on a Zoom call where like somebody's glazing over. You can see that they're reading a text, <laughs> or you know, and you're like, am I, am I making sense? Am I not making sense? But I think what happens in grief is that I don't make any sense to myself because it feels like the world has stopped spinning on its axis. And what it can feel like is a little bit invasive when you're supposed to make sense and people come close, you know, they want to, they come close holding space, which is that phrase that so many people are like, I don't even know what that means. Literally just means saying, what does it feel like right now? And a griever being able to say, I feel totally crazy. I don't even know where to put my feet. Tell me more about that. How are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are you? That those questions are just me making room in a connected way rather than what so many people do. And I, this is painful on both sides, right? Like when yeah. I really love my cousin, Joe, my cousin, Joe's wife's died, but I don't know what to say. And so I just like send him a note and then I'm like, I don't know, I would have called him by now, but like his wife died. So I don't know what to say. So I'm not going to call him. What happens to Joe is he feels like people don't want to be around him because he's got grief and loss. And there's some truth to it because he's making people feel awkward, but also all that way that he normally feels like a normal person who is regulating himself with other people nodding at him and saying, yeah, no, I saw that movie too. He doesn't get any of that. And so the ice, the sort of, yes, it becomes isolative in a destruct, it can become isolative in a destructive way really fast. And when we have disenfranchised grief, we have to assume that we're already two steps up the, the ladder that we already know that people are like, maybe I shouldn't feel this upset about my cat. Nobody else told me they were this upset about them. No one's responding to me. Like they should, like, I feel like they should be when my world has been so destroyed because I've lost my cat. So being able to show up for someone and ask those questions of how are you doing? And then setting that little reminder in your phone, check in, check in with your friend, your, you know, your sister, your cousin, whomever it is. And just, Hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? How's the, you know, how's the stuff with the, with losing your cat going? And like the, the grief space. And as a griever, 
for like, if you're somebody who's spot on type A, uber organized, multitask, sometimes you just may be lucky if you can find your keys. And that's when I say, just if you've gotten up out of bed, celebrate that. And you're not the same person today that you were yesterday before you experienced this loss. So don't expect yourself to be. Uh, One of the the biggest things that I had to learn, like I look back and always say, what did I learn in this year and how have I challenged my paradigms? And I think 2018 or 2017 was the year that I learned to be kinder to me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for our grievers, our pet grievers, to learn to be kinder to yourself. Give yourself that space to grieve and it's okay to lose your keys and find them in the refrigerator. You're right. not alone. We've all right because nothing's clear. So if you're like that logical linear, just throw that throw that blueprint out the door. A lot of what I teach actually, because I am so interested in neuroscience and I write a little bit about this, is actually let me tell you the part of your brain and why it was impacted and why you can't follow multi steps. And then I say, and also after my mom died, I threw my American Express card away five times. Good. It wasn't and people six. are like, and I, now I can't get one because they're like, no, lady, we don't believe you. We think you're like selling them or duplicating them. That's not true. I'm sorry, American Express. They did give me one after a while, but, but you know, being able to say like, you know, I know you feel crazy. Let me tell you how not crazy you are. You're so not crazy that we have science that can explain what's yes. happening to your brain. But you're correct that it feels crazy because what's going on with your brain does not feel like your normal way of being in your brain. So not being able to follow multi-step instructions is totally accurate because your hippocampus essentially got hit by a gong and it can't do its job. It can't do the thing, which is hold multiple pieces of information and then report them back to you so that you can do them. And people, people either think, I don't care, or they're like, wow, say that again. That's fascinating. I really love hearing. Right. And then you go, would, you, that would you like me to talk to you about your serotonin and dopamine? Yeah, exactly. and why? Right. Because we, we, as a society, we're very uncomfortable looking at pain. So let me give you medicine and there's nothing wrong with therapeutics. There's an appropriate time. But after trauma, sometimes those Don't help. antidepressants just make that even worse because you're right. Because your brain chemistry is all wonky and yeah. Right. And that, and that when we're talking about things like serotonin, which for our listeners, that's a neurotransmitter, right? There are natural ways in trauma that we want people to pursue them which is not to say there won't also be medicine involved, right? because I certainly recommend medicine and I have used medicine myself at different times. But the idea being that you are not alone and you did not create this crazy feeling that it's actually hundred percent of us will be grievers. Most of us will have some element of this feeling at, you know, at every time everybody is different the same way that like One of my kids used to get an ear infection and the other one got strep throat. You know, maybe you won't have any problem with multi-step directions, but the things that we hear from people are they can't read, they can't sleep, they can't remember, they can't follow instructions. You know, it's all about these regulation and, and many, many more things, but, but it's all about how your body is taking in this really difficult piece of information and then trying to learn it very fast it's trying to, it's like, it's like being a sous chef in a restaurant that is already working and that there are a hundred and you've never used a knife before. You've it's never like, peeled a potato. Yeah. You've got to learn it. 
Are there resources that you particularly love? Do you have a website that people could go to if they wanted to learn more, talk more, think more about this? Yes, yes. So your listeners are, please feel free to reach out to me at nancy at speakingofgrief.com, N-A-N-C-Y at speakingofgrief.com. The website is Speaking of Grief. Um, I'll put it in the show notes for people. Sure. And I'm happy to offer your listeners a complimentary how to move forward and enjoy living oh again after gosh, loss. Yes, so, you know, because grief is a thief and, you know, truly like how, what has grief stolen from you? So I'm happy to have to offer 10 to your listeners. It's a $250 value. So just reach out to me at Nancy at speaking of grief and you'll put that in the show notes. And, you, you know, it's really interesting because we're in this grief space and the journey is unique. So I know what resources that I like to use and how I like to support pet grievers, but not knowing everyone in the space. Yeah, it's tricky. Well, and I think part of it is anything with trauma and grief. If something doesn't resonate with you, keep looking, keep asking for you. That's right. Keep, you know, and something else I want to go ahead and drop in For anyone that's listening and you need a little support, whether it's two days or two years or 10 years and you're stuck in that grief space, in the U.S., there's the crisis text line Mm. and it's 100%. It's free and confidential. All of their volunteers are trained in background checks. So the number for the crisis text line is 741-741 and just type talk. So crisis text line 741-741 and talk. And you will immediately um, have a trained volunteer that will reply to you. You know, anxiety levels are up, grief, you know, pet loss through all of this. I can't tell you how many folks I've spoken to that lost their fur babies and during COVID weren't permitted to go into the room with their, I, I can't even, Yeah. you know, so crisis text line, it's, it's not just for suicide, reach out if, yeah. Because if for nothing else, you'll be supported and heard. That's right. God, that's a great answer. Thank you for that. That's that's really beautiful. And I'll put all of that in the in the show notes. I am going to let you go, but very reluctantly, because I feel like we could talk forever. So I am making you no promises that I'm not going to ping you back. No, we need to do questions. a part two. I would love to have Let's- you back. And, and I do want to say, because I asked you to talk about pet loss, that is what we are that's the topic. I don't want you or listeners to think that even though you shared with us that you're also a survivor of suicide loss, that I did not think that was important. You know, I know that that is really important and that could be a second conversation that we have, but I did, you know, I reached out for a specific topic and I, I didn't ask you if you came prepared to talk about that. So just for my listeners, you know, in trauma work, we're always trying to be really respectful of the work that's in front of us. And that was the, that was the agreed conversation that Nancy and I had, Right. but I would, I have a million zillion other questions. And so if you don't mind me to saying, Hey, can we do this again? We will make it a little regular call in. Cause I do think there's not enough conversation out there. Well, and again, you know, from as a suicide loss survivor and, you know, I've done CPR, right. A CPR in a, in a public shopping center. I want to honor everyone's grief the pet parents, this other suicide loss survivors, their space and conversation for all of us. 
I feel like my flight of ideas and my ADD, oh, me we, we did go all me over, too. but to the pet parents, please reach out if you need additional support. I'm happy to chat that. with everyone. And for the other suicide loss survivors out there here to support you. And Megan, it's been an honor to be with you. And I look oh my forward gosh. to another chat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really, one of the lovely things about having a podcast is I get to just ask people, Hey, do you want to come and have a discussion with me? And then I learn so many things and I fall in love with people and I don't want to get off the phone. So we'll be back together again soon. Listeners can look for us. And I really deeply appreciate you sharing with us today. Thank you so much. And we'll be back in touch. Take care, Nancy.